Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Solidago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about yellow dock, also known as curly dock, a common weed that grows around the world. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Yellow dock is an herb that is really easy to recognize and identify. It tends to have these plumes of brown seeds that are really papery. And it's a relatively tall plant, um, maybe four feet tall. And you'll see it on the sides of roads, in fields, in uh, quote-unquote vacant lots. Um, you'll see where humans have destroyed the so- have disrupted the soil and maybe even destroyed the soil. Um, and it's you'll see it in farms. It's a common farm and garden weed as well. The it's a perennial and it has a yellow root, <clears throat> hence its name yellow dock. And it has large leaves, which is what the dock refers to. Some people say dock also just refers to any plant, but it seems these days mostly to refer to plants that have large leaves. The flower stalk appears in the second year. So the first year it will just be a basil rosette. And it is a perennial, so it will grow for multiple years, but my general sense is that it's a short-lived perennial, like it might live for three or four years, perhaps. And it produces a lot of seeds. So to keep the generations going, it really doesn't have to live for a very long time to create an abundant population. Uh, There's a couple, well, there's, there's 200 species of plants within this genre of rumex so the yellow dock the curly yellow dock is called rumex crispus and it's in the polygonaceae family this is like 
the family that has polygonaceae is a name that refers to many swollen nodes on the stems, and especially of some species. The, I don't notice it so much with the yellow dock, but it's derived it's in the buckwheat family as well, and it's derived from Greek poly meaning many and goni meaning knee or joint. So other plants in this family would be smart weeds or Japanese knotweed is in this family. And there's another thought that alternatively it may have a different derivation, meaning many seeds instead of many joints, which definitely applies to the yellow dock. It's uh, native to Europe and North Asia, but now is found worldwide. There's also Arumex optosifolia and Arumex, um, well, there's, and then there's Arumex aceto- acetosella, which is the sorrels as acetosa and acetosella, which is like the big garden soil and the acetosella, which is like the little sheep sorrel. And they have similar flavor. Like when you taste them, they have that really kind of sour lemony flavor to them. And that is a sign of the oxalic acid that's in them. And that also has the flavor of the yellow dock leaves. So Rumex is Latin for lance leaf or like a thin leaf. And then crispus is Latin for crisped, which refers to the curly nature along the edges of the curly dock. And then Rumex obtusifolia is a round-leafed dock. And the leaves are more oval and ride wider and rounded at the tips. I want to say, I don't have as much experience with the Rumex optosifolia. It doesn't really grow as much around where I am. It's I get more of the crispus, um, but they can be used interchangeably. And I believe the Rumex optosifolia also has a yellow root and is sometimes referred to as yellow dock as well. So those two species can be used interchangeably. And it kind of depends on where you live as to which one is more dominant from what I can tell. <clears throat> being on the shoreline here, there's another Rumex crispus that's a variety that is only found right on the shoreline beaches. And that looks very similar, but the seed heads are, are a lot less papery. They're like more dense and a lot um, just more compact. And the leaves are saltier, as, as is anything that grows on the shoreline. So that's something, that if you look on the ocean, if you live on the ocean, you can check that out. I wonder, the paperiness of the seed is, you know, how the seed travels. It can blow in the wind. It's a relatively kind of heavy seed, but this big paper um, coating around it kind of helps it spread. And I wonder if the one on the shoreline is a little denser so it doesn't get blown out to see it kind of will just drop more where it is. Just a thought. And generally this plant is thought to be um, a really invasive weed, especially for farmers. And it's can be difficult to eradicate, not only because a large can't 
a large plant can make up to 30,000 seeds that can stay dormant in the ground for up to 50 years until it has suitable growing conditions or is turned over by human disturbance or, say, a plow and brought to the surface of the soil. Um, But also any piece of root in the ground will regrow a plant. So if you weed, if you're weeding and you weed out the yellow dock and you don't get the full root, then it will regrow, just like the dandelion and the burdock and comfrey and a lot of other taproot kind of plants. So this plant does have a nice large taproot, which secures it to the ground and in sandy soils or rocky soils or rich soils. And that taproot is what holds a lot of the medicine. However, it is an edible green as well. The leaves are edible. So in the very young spring leaves, it's interesting because the leaves are edible, but they also have some protection to them so that the plant, you know, isn't totally devoured by humans and deer and can still live. So it is a nice wild weed that is full of nutrition, but because of this, it also has to have some protection for itself. So we think a stinging nettle is a plant that has a lot of nutrition, is a great delicious spring green, but if you don't prepare it properly, then it will bite back or it will sting you while you're trying to prepare it. So in some ways, you'll find that really nutritious plants have some sort of defense mechanism to them. Although I do find that the deer in my field do eat the yellow dock leaves, but they don't totally devour the plant. They might take a bite of a leaf here and there. Um, you can cut, especially in the spring. So the very young spring leaves contain a lot of an acid that's called the chrysophanic acid. It's or chrysophonic. It's C-H-R-Y-S-O-P-H-A-N-I-C. And this can really irritate and numb the tongue um, unless it's washed or cooked first. So if you're out foraging and you're like, oh, there's some yellow dock. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm going to just have a wild salad out here in the field or I'm going to eat some leaves. Then you might notice uh, that it will irritate or numb your tongue. So go out and harvest those spring leaves, but bring them inside and cook them. A classic way um, that people will cook them is, you know, sauteing them or boiling them in a soup or sauteing them and having them with eggs or in casseroles. And this is a classic example of why we need to cook our plant foods. And there's, I mean, imagine if you had gone out and harvested these spring leaves and I was like, I'm going to add it to my green smoothie or my, I'm going to juice them to get all that nutrients. Well, the reality is, is that you don't get any of the nutrients from a raw leaf, but you will get any secondary metabolites that are in the leaf that the leaf is using to protect itself that can be irritating or slightly poisonous. So especially with wild foods, many of them need to be cooked unless you're eating them in very small amounts as a garnish in your salads, say. The oxalic acid, as I was saying, is also in these leaves, which give it that nice, sour, lemony flavor. But oxalic acid, especially eaten raw, is hard on the kidneys and also on our joints. It can 
lead to inflammation and can actually draw calcium from our bones. So again, you want to cook them. Cooking them can reduce the oxalic acid and it can also people suggest that you cook greens that have oxalic acid in them with dairy uh, because then you're providing some calcium because that oxalic acid wants to bind with calcium to be eliminated from the body. And so it wants to be calcium oxalate. And so it will either take it from your bones, but if you eat it with some sort of calcium source, and a lot of these leaves actually have calcium in them, like yellow dock. So um, it's just something to consider. And some people are more irritated by oxalic acid than others. Oxalic acid is a natural metabolite from ascorbic acid. So our body creates it from ascorbic acid and we need to have some oxalic acid in our body. It's, it is a necessary thing, but not in large amounts. And so if we don't get enough from our food, then we will make it from vitamin C. So the oxalic acid inhibits um, calcium absorption and then can rob the bones of calcium. And it's usually in the form of potassium oxalate. So it's also recommended if people have kidney stones um, or maybe even gout, this would be something that you'd probably want to avoid. Now there are a lot of plants that contain oxalic acid in them that we eat on a normal basis, like spinach leaves, beet greens, Swiss chard, potatoes. Um, and so these are why we need to cook these foods, especially for a long time. So spinach smoothies is really not a good idea. As these spring green, the yellow dock leaves mature, they get pretty stringy and bitter. And so even in like late spring, you can still harvest them, but you want to parboil them one to three times, changing the water to reduce the bitterness. And then over time, the oxalic acid also builds in the leaves. So the leaves get um, more bitter and less palatable and a little less healthy for us. So once once we're into the summer, we're not going to harvest yellow dock leaves to eat. However, as this happens, the stem shoots begin to grow and those can be harvested and the outer layer removed, like similar to last week we talked about the burdock stem. You take out that outer layer and you can eat the inside. You can cook it until it's tender or eat it like celery. And then if you want to eat the roots, you know, the first year, the young roots would be more preferable. They'd be more tender. They're still going to be pretty bitter and you want to eat them in small amounts. And then the older roots are best for medicine. Um, you know, once it's two or three years old, you'll get a bigger root. The older the plant, the bigger the plant and the bigger the root. And then the seeds are also traditionally used as a grain. And the native people would, you know, harvest the seeds because it's really easy to harvest the seeds, but you get a lot of chaff with them. So a lot of times, you know, you would winnow the chaff, you'd like break up the seed and the chaff and then winnow it in the wind. It's a lot of work. Um, these days, people will use like a coffee bean grinder and grind 
the seed and the chaff all together and use it all as one and make uh, like a wild seed flour that you or a powder that you could add to flour when baking and cooking. And different plant seeds um, of the Rumex Crispus will have different flavors. Um, so you can taste test it before you use them. The seeds also do have minerals in them, so they can be added uh, to a vinegar and made as a, like a mineral-rich vinegar for cooking as well. And then some people will also tincture the seeds and use it similarly to how they would use the root. And we see this a lot with other plants like echinacea and burdock where they have these tap roots and create a lot of seeds. And oftentimes the seeds and the roots are used relatively interchangeably, although roots tend to be ideal. And again, it's in the buckwheat family. And so the buckwheat is the seed is what's used there. And so it has kind of a similar, mm, like earthy flavor to it. The energetics of yellow dock is cooling and drying. So we talked about it containing the oxalic acid. I feel like we went over that. It contains some other interesting constituents, one of which is rumicin which is a liver decongestant and aids to for the liver to produce bile. I'm guessing that that is a bitter constituent of the plant. The leaves were actually um, so mineral rich and vitamin rich that they were an important vegetable during the depression in the United States. And so they are extremely rich in iron, the leaves and the roots, as well as other minerals like magnesium, calcium, phosphorus, manganese, B vitamins, potassium, selenium, silicon, sodium, vitamin A, and vitamin C. So it's a broad range of nutrients that are easily recognizable by the body and in their complex forms, bioavailable. Compared to spinach, the leaves have a third more protein, iron, calcium, potassium, beta carotene, and phosphorus, and more than double the amount of vitamin C. And it was actually an herb that is considered antiscorbutic, which is provides enough vitamin C that it would prevent vitamin C deficiencies in the body. And that is something that you could get more from eating a little bit of the raw leaf. The root provides minerals as well, potassium and manganese, plus lots of iron. So it's very beneficial for people who are dealing with anemia, and we'll get into that in a little bit. The leaves also have a slightly mucilaginous nature to them, especially when they're cooked for a long time. They can kind of get super soft and add um, like a thickness to soups and stews. And then also when they're first emerging from the ground, there's like a mucilaginous nature that's on them and around them. And so it's considered that these leaves are especially beneficial for topical applications, for soothing the skin and maybe even creating some topical remedies with. It also contains flavonoids, which are antioxidants. And then one of the more... Um, intense, uh, maybe medicinal or even slightly poisonous, that's one in the same constituents, is uh, anthroquinones. 
and it has small quantities of a specific anthroquinone, which is called emodin. And this is also found in rhubarb root and has a similar effect as a laxative. It's a mild stimulant effect on the colon, but it also has anti-cancer effects as well. Now, rhubarb is a lot more intense and people will maybe consider yellow dock. It's like um, very like mild mannered cousin, so to speak. And so yellow dock, it does have a laxative action, but it also has tannins in it, which provides some astringency and some modulation to the more stronger um, anthroquinone laxative. It also has um, some antimicrobial, the emodin, as far as I'm understanding, has some antimicrobial, antifungal um, properties, especially against like ringworm, and that you would apply topically, like the root poultice topically to the ringworm on the skin which it sounds like it's a worm, but it's actually a fungus. We're going to dig deeper into Yellow Dock in just a moment. So stick with me and I'll be right back. As we get into the different actions and usefulness of this common weed, yellow dock, um, I thought I'd start by reading a couple different paragraphs from Guido Masse's book, The Wild Medicine Solution, Healing with Aromatic, Bitter, and Tonic Plants. This is a really great book. Um, it really <clears throat> addresses how historically humans have always worked with plants that are either aromatic, bitter, or tonic, and how important that they are to our whole general health. And so yellow dock being a relatively bitter herb and root has a nice short little chapter in this book. And so I highly recommend checking it out. But he starts the chapter by saying, if your heart is full and you need release, turn to curly dock, or so the legend goes. Alternatively, known as garden patience, sour dock or yellow dock after the color of its roots, old herbalists who know of such things say that this plant can help us let go of the influences that are blocking our progress, impeding our understanding, or simply weighing us down. While this may indeed be the case figuratively, it has literal truth as well. There is no safer or gentler bitter when it comes to ensuring regular bowel function. But isn't it interesting that in traditional medicine, a remedy for constipation can also help with stuck stagnant emotion? The folkloric record is full of such correspondences. Which I mean, that makes sense, right? A lot of times if we tend to be 
bound up emotionally that can manifest in being bound up in our guts. And then he ends the chapter on Yellow Dock by saying, Though this may be its greatest virtue, the systemic effects of having regular digestion are not to be underestimated. Far from simply alleviating discomfort, Yellow Dock, and most all bitter remedies, can help resolve long-term stuck conditions. As a result, there is often less anger and irritability, more comfort in daily life, and a greater willingness to be open to the love of others. I know this seems like a stretch for a weedy, simple plant, but for the right person, it can make all the difference. After all, since the days of Hippocrates, a backup of bile, known as choler in Greek, is linked to anger, tension, and headaches. By helping us release the old patterns we hold on to, and a little bile as well, bitters such as yellow dock can counter the choleric tendency in our modern culture. And indeed, historically, um, this herb was considered to be a blood cleanser, especially in the humoral tradition now that has kind of now known as the heroic tradition of belief where, you know, it's thought that we have these different aspects of our body that could become quote unquote toxic and that by cleansing them out of our body, then we heal ourselves. And this is not a tradition of herbalism that I adhere to anymore. I used to be very much inclined toward the fact that our bodies are toxic and that we need to cleanse them to be healthy. And this is still very dominant in a lot of current herbalism and herbalist traditions. And I just, it's interesting how that carries through. But in some ways, um, Yellow Dock does help to get things moving as far as bitters. And they help, it's, it's a, a, yet another herb that is considered an alterative that is in my bag of tricks of alteratives, which I love, which are these herbs that support our organs of metabolism and elimination and help everything to function more, you know, more better, more optimally. And to, so that we don't get stagnancy or we don't get a buildup of metabolites that we don't need anymore in our body or a buildup of poisons of things that we've ingested that our body needs to eliminate. So, Yellow dock is an alterative. It has the specific affinities with a liver. It's sometimes considered to be a liver tonic. It has a specific affinity with the blood. It's sometimes considered to be a blood tonic. I like to think of it more as a blood tonic than a blood cleanser, especially since it has a lot of iron that it can offer the blood. And it is also can have some has some diuretic action as well so affects the kidneys as well and it's a bitter so it also does and has an affinity for the gallbladder and really helps to promote bile production and from the liver and release from the gallbladder to help us digest fatty foods 
And then, as I was saying earlier with the tannins, yellow dock also has quite a bit of astringency to it. The Europeans, the colonizers of this current United States, and also the indigenous native peoples of the United States um, all worked with this plant. And it's, it's interesting, and a lot of authors talk about how interesting it is that, you know, supposedly this plant did come over with the colonizers, um, whether it was as a weed or a medicine, you know, if it came just as seed and sheep wool or whatever it was, but it arrived around the same time. But it quickly became part of the herbal medicine tradition of the native peoples of this land as well. It was often used um, to fight recurrent infections, to counter anemia, to support people who had rheumatic and inflammatory diseases. And also it was really useful against boils and other irritated skin tumors and gross and um, also just skin irritations in general. It's related to Michael Tierra uh, relates this herb. It says it's similar tonic pro properties to the Chinese herb that's known as Hoshuwu or Hishuwu, also known as Fo Ti. It's a polygonum multif multiflorum. So it's um, also it's in the same family, the Polygonaceae family, and but it has. The yellow dock is a little bit more laxative than the foti is. But in small amounts, it's more of a bowel regulator than a laxative. So really, um, yellow dock taken in very small amounts can have more of a tonic effect. But if you go overboard, if you start using it in large amounts, it can really be more, it can kind of wreak a little havoc on the intestines. It can be a stronger laxative and then can, after that, be a little constipating. So you just want to be careful and find the right dosage and start really small. I was always taught that yellow dock provided more tone to the intestines and helped the body to um, have its own peristalsis. And so it just kind of helped the functioning of the gut to eliminate properly, of the colon to eliminate properly, and the peristalsis of the whole system which is that wave-like motion that moves uh, food through the intestines and then out through the colon. I was also always told um, and learned that yellow dock is gentle enough for young children and for elders. But again, I think it's, you know, we want to go in smaller amounts and then work our way up to the standard dosage. People will talk about it as being useful, like if people are on stimulant laxatives, whether they're herbal, like Senna and Cascara Sagrada, or whether they are pharmaceutical, that by slowly incorporating yellow dock and weaning off of the stimulant laxative and weaning up on the yellow dock, that, you, that people are able to eventually wean themselves off of the stimulant laxative as they build tone. And of course, eating a nice fiber-rich diet is helpful as well and drinking enough fluids to match that amount of fiber. So 
yellow dock root gentle laxative cholagog, which means it promotes uh, bile production and and use of the bile and a digestive bitter. So improving the whole system of digestion. And then because of this iron, it's known as a blood tonic, blood tonic and increases the iron in the blood. And it's thought to do this in a variety of ways. Yes, it contains um, a lot of iron in it. And so eating it, but you don't really want to eat the root because, whoa, it is so bitter. And then if you eat too much of it, it has this laxative action. So a lot of times people will make um, like a syrup with the yellow dock root. So simmer the root for a long time to really, so that you get the minerals released from it and then cut it in half with uh, honey or sugar to sweeten it because it's going to be super bitter and then just take it by the spoonful. So that's going to be an iron rich tonic. Now you're not going to get that if you just do a yellow dock tincture, but what you will get if you do a yellow dock tincture or then you will get the ability of the liver to release iron that it might be holding on to. So it helps the body to release stored iron it back into the blood. And then just as a digestive bitter on a whole, it helps us to assimilate any iron that we are already consuming. So a lot of people say, well, you know, if, if I'm, I'm taking yellow dock, so I'm going to increase my iron levels, you know, but really what you want to do is take yellow dock with some red meat or with something that has a lot of iron in it, especially if you're just doing a tincture, you know, and again, you can only consume so much syrup before it's going to be more of a laxative than a nutrient. So there's a fine line there. And then, you know, some people say, well, it's, it is beneficial during pregnancy and debilitated conditions because it is this blood tonic and, and especially if there's anemia in pregnancy. But again, you don't want to have like a stimulant laxative when you are pregnant because that those can sometimes cause the uterus to contract as well. So again, it's a fine line. Yellow dock in small amounts can be a tonic. It can be modulating on our digestive tract and it can, can provide nutrition, but in large amounts, it can become more poisonous. And then it also depends on how you are preparing your medicine. Like you could do, if you were to do a, a tincture that is made by, you know, powdering the dry root and pouring grain alcohol through that powdered root through the percolation method and and creating a really, really potent medicine with the yellow dock root, then that's going to have no nutrition in it. And it's going to be very, very laxative because all you're going to get are those bitter poisons that are going to have the laxative action. But if you were to make, you know, a tincture with 100 proof vodka, that's 50% alcohol, 50% water, and let it make it with the fresh root and let it sit a long time and then just use it in small amounts, it's going to have more of a tonic and a modulating action because you're going to get more of the tannins and more of the mineral. Well, you don't get a lot of minerals in tinctures anyway, but you'll get some more of that modulating tannins with the laxative anthroquinones. 
And then again, if you were to do more of a decoction where it's only extraction with water and not the alcohol, you'll get a lot more of the minerals and less of those poisonous laxative anthroquinones. So it kind of just depends on how you prepare it and the safety of this herb. Other benefits that Yellow Dock offers, um, it does have some antiseptic properties, especially against E. coli and staph. It's anti-inflammatory and tends to reduce inflammation, especially in the liver and the gallbladder and in the digestion as a whole. Also, if you have any inflammation in glands or any swellings of glands or lymph nodes, it could be beneficial to help ease those. And it's another one of these bitter roots along with burdock um, and echinacea root. It's often combined with those two to to, um, counter skin inflammations and irritations like eczema, psoriasis, and chronic acne. It is a diuretic in It's a gentle diuretic, especially the leaves are a little bit more diuretic than the root, but it's a diuretic that contains potassium, so it's not going to be leaching and other minerals. So it's even though it's a diuretic, it still is going to be providing minerals to you. So it's a plant that, again, like cautions and considerations, use it in smaller amounts, Um, Use it just to get that bitter taste on your tongue if you want to kind of trigger the whole digestive system. Too much can lead to really like more of an irritable bowel state. So just small amounts is good. You want to avoid eating it raw, especially the leaves because of the oxalates. And if you have a history of calcium oxalate kidney stones, then you probably just want to avoid the leaf totally. And maybe even the root probably has some oxalates as well, but definitely the leaf. And as I said, with pregnancy, we don't want to be using stimulant laxatives. So because they can stimulate the uterus contractions. So again, just in very small amounts. To harvest this plant, if you do decide you want to work with it, you can easily find it just by looking for those seed heads this fall, those brown, puffy seed heads. Look at some pictures in some books beforehand and then go out on an adventure and looking for them. And then you can dig the root from those seed heads. And this is the prime time to dig it. And you'll find a different variation in root yellow color. So a lot of times people will say, well, the more yellow the root, the more potent the medicine. And you'll often find those growing in poorer soils because, again, the the plant has to work harder to um, live and have more of these secondary metabolites to live in poorer conditions. But there might be less minerals So depending on where you're harvesting, and then you also just want to make sure that where you're harvesting is a safe place to harvest and a legal place to harvest from. Know the history of the land and the specific spot on the land where you'd be harvesting the root from so that it wouldn't possibly be polluted in any way. And, you know, the, and it might be even be beneficial to watch the plants for a year or two so that you know you're getting like a two or three year old plant with a bigger root. And then once you've harvested the root, there's uh, different ways that you can prepare it. 
So you can dry it easily. You want to chop it up. Um, it has these beautiful, if you slice it, it has this beautiful, especially the really yellow ones. The sliced root is just so beautiful. But you can slice it or chop it up and lay it out on a screen to dry. If you want to save it for making syrups later or add it to bitter teas or blends. You can add it to vinegar, you know, you can make a herbal vinegar with the root and it will be a bitter vinegar, but it's one way to extract the minerals and nutrients from it. And you can also um, tincture the root, which is usually what I do. I'll just, you know, fill a jar with chopped fresh root and pour vodka over it till it covers and then just let it sit. And it will make this really, really yellow, yellow tincture. Um, and this is a, I mean, it's, again, it's something that you use in small amounts. It's not something that you're necessarily going to use every day unless you're really dealing with chronic constipation issues. And so I've had, you know, I've made a tincture of this root and I don't even know if I've hardly used it, maybe as like a digestive bitter every once in a while, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's really easy just to harvest one plant and to have a supply that will last you quite a while. It also can be used as a mouthwash to kill bacteria and then also to tone the gums and as an astringent for the gums. And so you can either do that with a tea or decoction that you've made from the root, or you can just use a tincture and um, put a little bit of tincture in water and use that as a mouthwash. Then, as I said earlier, it's often combined with burdock and dandelion and echinacea to help with uh, any kind of skin, long-term chronic skin issues. Or sometimes it's just combined with burdock and dandelion for any sort of digestive woes. And that's one way that you can just get, you know, where you can get smaller amounts of yellow dock is if you put it in a formula with some other herbs. And then those other herbs can kind of counter it's super, super bitterness, I would say, of between burdock, dandelion, and yellow dock, that's like the order of from sweet to bitter. Like yellow dock is even more bitter than dandelion, and burdock is on the sweeter side of things. I mean, I wouldn't say burdock is sweet necessarily, a little bit, but it's definitely less bitter than both dandelion and especially yellow dock. The roots and the leaves also bring topical relief, so they can be worked with as poultices or in baths or as rinses or washes. Sometimes people even infuse them in oil and add them to healing salves. And then if you're just out in the wilds and you get an insect bite or a bee sting or you walk through a nettle patch, then the curly dock or some sort of yellow dock leaf kind of pound up or chewed up and rubbed on the rash or on the bee sting or applied as a spit poultice will take away that sting really quickly. And it's, it's a classic um, remedy for a nettle sting or a nettle rash. And there's an old saying that says, nettle in, dock out, dock in, nettle out, dock rub, nettle out. So I have this uh, woman who I garden for, and she's grew up in Ireland. 
and she has, you know, she has like a little nettle patch here, but she's like, oh, the nettle here is so like more mild than the nettle in Ireland. And I think it's because we have the dioica here and the urens is overseas, which does have a sharper sting and it tends and it just is so abundant, especially in the UK from what I hear. And she said that as children, something they would do for quote unquote fun would be they'd challenge each other to like roll down this hill that was covered in a nettle patch. And they would like compare nettle stings with each other, who got the worst rash or whatever. And she says it was a it was a crazy thing to do, but it was tolerable because there was always yellow dock around that they could then remedy their stings with which I think is kind of funny. And I have put this to the test and I've, you know, I've purposefully stung myself with nettle and then harvested some dock and rubbed it on and it does help to alleviate the sting. And they're often find grow, found growing in similar conditions, so they might likely grow near each other. So I hope that this has inspired you to connect or at least take note of yellow dock that's growing in your neck of the woods. See if you can find it. Even if you're driving, see if you can spot it from afar and put it in your herbal apothecary and repertoire. Thank you so much for listening. I've had um, a couple people reach out to me recently and ask me about the Patreon that I had going originally that I was promoting in the earlier episodes of this podcast last late winter, but um, I don't have that anymore. But thank you for your interest. I just, it was too much, too much work for me. As soon as the landscape garden season kicked in, I just, that's all I had time for was gardening and for my family and for this one putting together this podcast and everything else had to fall by the wayside. But I do appreciate you asking about it. And I'm sorry that I don't have that additional resource for you. But again, always feel free to reach out if you have a specific question that comes up for you from the podcast. And I am compiling some questions and I will do a another episode uh, this month on answering your questions. So if you have any questions for me that you want me to answer on the podcast, please email those to School at gmail, or you can message me directly on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram, Facebook, or my website, uh, all with the tag Solidago Herb School, plus the Healthy Herb Podcast has an Instagram page. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for incorporating what I am putting out there into your life. I've had a lot of people contact me and say that they find the podcast really beneficial and that they really are connecting more with the plants that grow all around them. And that's really brings me a lot of joy. And that's the whole point of me doing this. So thank you for letting me know that that it's working and I, and that you are feeling informed and inspired. And so if you appreciate me too, I would love a simple five-star rating on iTunes or a short review 
for the five star rating, all you have to do is just like it takes one second to press that star and you're good to go. Plus, I really value your feedback. So, um, so let me know how it's going. Stay connected. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.